You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Halley. Hello, Oilers fans, and thank you once again for tuning in to another edition of The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network, brought to you by DraftKings and Pigskin fans. The moment you've all been waiting for is right around the corner, and DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55, is bringing back their golden ticket giveaway with up to $55 million in prizes up for grabs. All you have to do to get your share of these huge prizes is enter the DraftKings free Super Bowl prediction challenge. Once you submit your picks, you'll get an instant prize up to $25,000. And if you have the most predictions correct, you could win the top prize of $1 million. Download the app for free. Enter the free prediction challenge and just answer questions like who will score last. Boom. You get ready to make it rain. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to its players since 2012, so they know a thing or two about big paydays. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN, the Hockey Podcast Network, THPN, to enter the free $55 million Super Bowl prediction challenge. Everyone gets an instant prize up to $25,000 just for playing. So use the promo code THPN now and enter the $55 million Super Bowl challenge only at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55. I am Connor Halley, the host of the other Connor podcast today. It's episode number seven. The Edmonton Oilers, seven games down, 49 left in the 2021 season, a record of three and four coming off Sunday night's victory against the Winnipeg Jets. A game, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to watch live, so I I had to stay off social media. But my God, man, that that was something that I'm sure Oilers fans do not want to go through too often. Of course, they had a 2-1 lead going into the third period. Things are looking all right, and then Nikolai Ehlers scores for the Jets to tie things up at two apiece. Blake Wheeler would add another one on the power play to make it 3-2 for the Jets with under five minutes remaining. But man, of course... You need a goal, who do you call? Kyler Yamamoto, Johnny on the spot, takes a pass from Connor McDavid to tie the game up. And then with the game on the line, no time left on the clock. Leon Dreisaitl buries the pass from Connor McDavid. Edmonton Oilers win over the Winnipeg Jets. The two teams meeting again on Tuesday night. The Oilers, well, they won't have the luxury of not having to face Connor Hellebuck. He'll get the start for the Jets. The former Vezina Trophy winner is the league's top goalie, so it's not going to get any easier. But for the Edmonton Oilers, I think they did a lot of really good things in that game. Uh, some tough ones as well, of course. Winnipeg made it harder on them. But the biggest thing has to be Jesse Pugliarvi and the constant growth that we've seen from him. Obviously, it started a couple games ago. We saw him for a little bit on the top line. He got some power play time. And then Dave Tippett decided to make the switch, sending Zach Cassian down to the third line, where I thought he played very well, assisted on Kyle Therese's first goal of the year, made a great pass, and maybe was just a little more physically and emotionally engaged in this one. But yes, he pulled on the top line, did not look out of place. He looked confident. He wasn't the same player we saw a couple of years ago. And maybe, just maybe, Connor McDavid has his running mate. There was one play in particular that really stood out for me, and that was when Jesse Pugliarvi brought it in towards the end of the game and could have dished it off to somebody but went for the net. Just thought, maybe I'll put a move on a guy and take it hard towards the net. It didn't result in a goal. It resulted in a faceoff. But just the confidence that he has to make these types of efforts to score a goal, 
it's a great sight to see and obviously did not go unnoticed. I'm going to play a clip here from Leon Dreisettle. He spoke after the game just about the development of Jesse Pugliarvi going on to say that it's not as easy as just saying you can put someone out there. Everyone's going to take their own route to the NHL and Jesse Pugliarvi, no different. That's that's everything. That's um, confidence. Um, that's that's everything you need. Um, you know, you, you don't get drafted fourth overall uh, in, in a pretty solid draft if you don't have skill, if you can't skate, if you can't make plays. That's That doesn't happen, um, usually. <laughs> but he, he has all the tools. It's some, Sometimes guys take a little longer. Sometimes guys are just not ready at, at 18, 19, 20. Sometimes it takes them a little longer, and that's okay. Everyone goes their own path, and um, I think he's really starting to understand how he needs to play to be productive and and. To be honest with you, he's the sky's the limit. I mean, he's he's big, he's strong, he can skate, he can shoot, he makes plays. Like I can go on and on. So um, we're pretty uh, pretty happy to have him back, and um, you know he's been he's been really good for us. That's Leon Drysaddle speaking about Oilers forward Jesse Puljujarvi and the path he's taken to the NHL. Leon Drysaddle wasn't an automatic fit in the NHL either. Of course, he spent some time with the club after being drafted, but then was sent back down to the WHL, where he had a really good run with the Kelowna Rockets, making it to the Memorial Cup. They didn't win, but the experience he picked up along the way was evident. He had a good offseason, and then when he was called up to the Oilers the next season, he looked really good, had some chemistry with Taylor Hall, and things just looked a lot better for the German prospect, and he hasn't stopped progressing since then. So obviously Oilers fans would love to see that from Jesse Pugliarvi, but a long way to go still. But good start baby steps and you just want to see that progression continue the Oilers of course set to take on the Jets on Tuesday night game two of their back-to-back series we're going to talk to TSN 1290's Jim Toth later on in the show here get his thoughts of course on the Patrick Line trade where he thinks Pierre-Luc Dubois will fit on with this team and uh, we'll set up that game recap Sunday night's game and a lot more with Jim Toth from TSN 1290 We're also going to bring on Derek Van Deest. He, of course, covers the Edmonton Oilers for Post Media. We'll get his thoughts on Jesse Pugliarvi and Zach Cassian playing down lower in the lineup. What's worked, what's not. And does he think that Mikko Koskinen can keep on going here, being the number one guy with the Mike Smith injury? We don't exactly know when Mike Smith will be back. So for the foreseeable future, the Edmonton Oilers obviously relying heavily on Mikko Koskinen. And in the past, we've seen him kind of fade down towards the end of the season. So you don't want to work him too much, but it's early on. I personally have no problem with it, and I think he'll be okay to carry the bulk of the load for the Oilers. But we're going to start off this show here talking a little daily fantasy sports. And of course, DraftKings just became our sponsor here on the Hockey Podcast Network. And with that, I've had a few people slide into my DMs on Twitter saying, you guys should probably bring on a guest to talk a little daily fantasy sports. It's growing. I got into it for the first time, not going to lie. It was because... DraftKings came on as the sponsor. I signed up, used THPN as my promo code, and I've been having some fun playing just low-level bets, trying to double up my money, make that $25 last as long as I can. It is a lot of fun, so I highly recommend you check it out. But we're going to bring in Jeffrey Ulrich. He, of course, writes with DraftKings Nation. Get him on Twitter at the Fantasy Grind. Jeffrey, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing really good. Uh, thanks a lot for having me on. Love talking uh, DFS, but uh, NHL DFS definitely one of my favorites, so... It's uh, it's definitely fun, and you know, full disclosure, I'm pretty new to it. So if I sound like a rookie in any way, it's because I am. I know DraftKings came on as a sponsor of the Hockey Podcast Network, so I thought, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll dabble, I'll throw some money in this account, see how it goes. Of course, use the promo code THPN, and I've had a lot of fun with it with the NHL and the NFL myself. But you've been doing this for a long time. How did you get into it? 
Yeah, so I, I initially came kind of more from a poker background. Um, used to play a lot of online poker and um, just kind of stumbled into it from that perspective. Uh, it's got a lot of the same kind of uh, parallels just in terms of like risk management and, uh, you know, variance and, and stuff like that and how you go about attacking bigger tournaments. So uh, I stumbled into that. Also, I'm just a huge sports fan. So, I mean, that's obviously like a pretty big appeal to me as well. Um, and, and then I kind of just got connected with DraftKings through just a mutual acquaintance. They needed someone uh, to do a little bit of work. So ever since then, I've been doing work uh, for DraftKings on side and, and obviously partaking in the, uh, the DFS side of it, which, uh, like you said, has, has tons of appeal, lots of strategy behind it, and uh, basically just a lot of fun. Yeah, we'll get into that. And one of the things I do like about DraftKings is they do have the free pools, so you don't have to be spending money if you just want to play for fun. There is that option. Outside of hockey, do you have a favorite that you like to get into? Yeah, no, um, absolutely. I mean, I, I initially actually started as like uh, more of a golf golf analyst for them because, uh, again, you know, just from a poker background, uh, analyzing like the bigger field golf tournaments kind of appealed to me. And, and from an odds perspective, golf betting uh, is something I've always done. So that's kind of how I initially started. It, it's still, you know, by week to week, uh, I, I always always in there on the golf tournaments. And if you play Twitter, you probably know that already. But um that and, and NFL have kind of always been my better, my bread and butter. NFL D- or NHL DFS has kind of been one. I initially sort of dabbled in it at the start, but I didn't really get into it uh, mostly until the next last uh, few years. And um, you know, I it's a nightly sport. I think it's great. You know, you can go with line combos. You know, teams are, are changing up uh, goalies and stuff like that on the fly. So. Uh, just as a Canadian, too, a guy who's followed the sport. I mean, I, I think it's a great one for DFS. And, you know, realistically, if you can just if you just even have a little bit of knowledge of what the teams are going on, you have a pretty good shot at it. It's one of those ones where, you know, NBA DFS, sometimes you got to wait all the way up to lock because there's lineup changes and stuff like that. You know, there's not as many lineup changes going on. Um, generally, the, like we know, the injuries pre, pre-game in, in NHL, there's not many late scratches. So it's nice from that perspective, too, if you're a bit new to DFS. You don't have to deal with as many kind of things going on, which I kind of appreciate too, because, you know, I'm trying to follow like three sports at a time here. I don't really want to follow late scratches right up to lock. So I think it's got a lot of appeal just as a, as a DFS sport. Jeffrey Ulrich joining us here on the Other Connor podcast. You can get his writing at DraftKings Nation. And so for me, I, I've just been really getting into tiers because I don't have to do too much thinking. Uh, they layer it out there. You just pick your one player out of the group. You don't have to worry about salaries or anything like that. What style is your favorite? So I, I like the, just the classic. I, I like the bigger slates, the better. Like, uh, I, I mean, you know, the smaller game slates are okay and, uh, you know, the showdown slates, which is just like a one game where you pick a captain, those are pretty fun too, especially on a night like uh, I know we're talking on a Monday or like it's, it's uh, you know, we only have one game to choose from. But I, I like the classic slates, the bigger ones where you got maybe it's like a, an eight or a ten game NHL slate. Uh, really kind of just narrow down your focus. I mean, um, you know, with, with goaltending especially, uh, sometimes on the shorter slates, like you'll get where, where there, and when I say shorter slate, I mean like two or three game slate. You might get one goalie who's like you know fifty percent owned, and, and half the people in the in a lineup have them. But you can really find like lower owned plays, uh, you know, goalies who you think might be uh, playing good and, and maybe a little bit discounted in the off or something. And you can get really really low ownership on them when um, when other you know people are obviously going elsewhere. So I like the variety of the big game slates. Um, always a little bit more interesting. You can get a lot of swings in them too. You know, the early games go off, and you got like three late games. They can really change standings. So. Those ones generally appeal to me the most, but um, 
you know, realistically, every hockey slate has some appeal to me. But uh, for me, I've always been that guy who I, I try to target the bigger slates the most. And, and also on DraftKings, I mean, you know, the bigger the slate are, generally the bigger the, the contests are, too. So it's always nice. <laughs> okay, well, we're talking about the Edmonton Oilers on this podcast, so I have to ask you. They play the Jets on Tuesday night. You've got the Leafs Thursday and Saturday. Is there any Oilers you think guys should be targeting right now? Well, I mean, I mean, I think most Oiler fans. Well, I mean, I guess the, maybe not all Oiler fans, but the hardcore guys will know. I mean, Jesse Pugliarvi bumped up to the first line. He was actually only twenty six hundred uh, in that first game against the Jets, where uh, I think he just, I think he ended up with an assist. But either way, he had a fantastic game uh, playing on the top line now. And for NHL DFS, this is the kind of movement you you want to see. It's a great example, actually. So it's a perfect segue because. When you get a skilled guy like Popo Yarvi, you know, and he's getting the line boost, that's when you can take advantage with these cheap salaries. Uh, I'm not expecting Jesse's salary to go through the roof here. I mean, I, I mentioned he was 2600 in that first game against the Jets. He'll probably still be really cheap. This is a really skilled forward. going to get more minutes. Now probably going to get some power play time, playing along the best player in the world. That's a great value for DFS. He's going to be a great play in the next couple games, in my opinion, unless something drastic changes. Uh, with the line combos or something there. But that's the kind of player movement you got to keep an eye on for NHL DFS because opportunity is everything in these in these daily sports. And when guys get bumped up to the top six in NHL DFS, that's a big opportunity boost. That's something you want to keep an eye on. So when another team's taking on the Oilers, like what is your thought? Say an Austin Matthews or even tomorrow night, or I guess if you're listening on Tuesday tonight, when the Oilers take on the Winnipeg Jets, is, is a guy like Kyle Connor a must-have just because the Oilers might give up that opportunity? Yeah, I, I mean, unfortunately, I don't, this is, uh, you know, you, you got to let your bias, you got to kind of put your bias away. But, you know, the Oilers give up a lot of scoring chances. I mean, the, the stats just bear that out right now, unfortunately. They're up there in shots allowed as well. They're a good opponent for your, for your DFS skaters. So the Winnipeg offense is definitely going to be, um, you know, something I'd look at on the slate. I mean, it's a big game, slate. There's a lot of options. But, like, the Oilers right now are a pretty good daily fantasy opponent. Um, they have a you know a bit of a weaker goaltending situation as well. Special teams not quite up there to what they were last year. So right now the Oilers are actually a pretty pretty solid DFS opponent. Um, you know right now a guy like Kyle Connor would be the the perfect kind of stud when, when you're trying to pay up for players. You obviously want them in, in the most beneficial matchups you can. So Connor is definitely going to be up there, 7200. You know the, the whole first line for for Winnipeg too. Winnipeg's first line is, is actually, you know, it, it's a good kind of topic to talk about as well because they're the first the kind of first line that play a ton of minutes. You have other first lines where, you know, maybe they're sort of interchangeable with their second line. Winnipeg's top line is, is very much a, a traditional top line. They're going to play the most. They're going to play in every important situation. You can get big minutes from Mark Shifley, Kyle Connor, and usually Blake Wheeler on the other side. So um, it's definitely the right type of matchup to target those guys and pay up. Uh, if you are going to pay like over 7K for a winger or, or a center, you know, you really, you generally want to make sure that it's in a beneficial matchup. Oilers are a beneficial matchup right now. Other teams, you know, pretty obvious ones, Detroit, uh, Anaheim, you know, team, teams that are just bottom dwellers allow a lot of shots, allow, allow a lot of scoring chances, uh, is the main thing. So. For me, I mean, I, I'm like I said, very raw to it. But one matchup I really liked was when the Tampa Bay Lightning were taking on the Chicago Blackhawks. I think I was just hammering home on the the Lightning. Is there any other teams like that where you think it doesn't really matter? You know, the opponent. I've just got to pick players from that team because I know they're going to put up points. Right. I mean, right now, I would say that you know the the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, 
it, it almost doesn't matter what who the opponent is. That is just a team with some really good DSS. Uh, like like Shea Theodore, um, you know he's playing every power play. This is a defenseman who's averaging like basically four shots on goal per night, which again, you know, it brings back to the DraftKings strategy point. You get a bonus for, for five shots on goal. You get bonus points. It's massive if your player gets to that bonus uh, points because, you know, it's three extra points. Like basically, you know, only a very handful of players are going to get. Theodore gives you a shot at that every night. Um, so again, you know, you sure you'd like them to play Chicago every night, but the Vegas power, they got, um, you know, a, a couple other great scores. Patrick, Max Pacioretty is also a DFS favorite of mine because he just attempts a ton of shots on goal. So those guys are kind of like every night consideration. Like it, it doesn't matter who the Vegas Golden Knights are playing. I'm always looking at those guys, regardless of the slate. Um, and, and realistically, sometimes in the bad matchups for Vegas, you know, you'll, you'll get them. Like people will forget about them, right? You know, if you get a team play in Chicago, everyone's going to, no everyone's going to forget that Vegas is on the slate. So you can get those guys that really sort of, um, you know, again, just not many people will have them in the big uh, DraftKings GPPs, which when you can get lower ownership, it, it's always a bit of an edge. So Vegas is, uh, is probably a team like that. Um, you know, the, the Oilers uh, top six is similar. I mean, you always have to consider their studs because they're so uh, consistent, but um, you know, as far as, Teams that uh, I always consider, you know, Vegas probably uh, up up near the top. So, are you a believer that if you do go with Connor McDavid, you should maybe take Ryan Nugent Hopkins as line mate just in case he picks up a couple assists? So, stacking in NHL DFS is it's definitely one of the most important things you want to do. Um, you don't have to stack all your players; like they don't all have to be correlated. We we call it like a correlated play uh, on DraftKings. So, if you're using McDavid you're going to generally try and use him with one of his line mates. Right now, Nugent Hopkins is the obvious. Regardless of who the other winger is, him and Nugent Hopkins are, are going to be playing together, regular strength and on the power play. So you've got a really strong correlation there. And it's like you said, it, it's a very simple concept. If McDavid scores, there's a real good chance Nugent Hopkins is in on an assist and vice versa. So you're not just picking up the goal. You're making it more simplistic for yourself. You know, you're picking up two points at one because the whole idea here is you want your skaters to pick up points why not, you know, kill, kill one bird with two stones or whatever, or kill two birds with one stones, right? By, by targeting the same game and targeting the same line. Um, that's the one beauty of, of NHL DFS, too. And it, it, it makes it a little bit more simpler for newer players where it, it, if your line goes off, I mean, you, you, can, you can really capitalize on it by using multiple players from that line. So stacking is absolutely a, um, an essential part of it. You, again, you don't have to stack all of it, but at the same time, you can use three you can even use four players from the same power play. Um, you know, you could you could throw in Tyson Berry with those guys, and and get a really good correlation. And, and if the Edmonton power play scores two goals that night, you could be in a really good spot. So, um, correlating is always something that should be at the top of your list. You don't again, you don't have to correlate every single player you have in your lineup, but you should have a good core where you know you build around one or two lines and then uh, go from there. All right, so stacking is a term I'm going to learn. I'm just going to, every time we talk, I'm just going to try to pick up one new term and slowly learn the ins and outs of daily fantasy sports. Uh, just one more for you, Jeffrey, and we really appreciate you joining us on the Other Connor podcast here. Any player this week or players that you're thinking, oh, I might stay away from, maybe a little too too rich for my taste? So, I mean, Nate McKinnon is off to a bit of a slow start. Um, you, you know, like right now, it's funny, at the start of the season you asked me, who would I want, uh, McDavid or McKinnon? I, I would have said McKinnon, but McDavid's shooting the puck more. And, and I, I bring these guys up because they're always 
close in salary. They're always, you know, one of the top two players. But you know, if I'm leaning somewhere right now, I, I'm leaning to Connor. Um, he's shooting the puck more, which is great. Kings play. Um, you know, he's got the, the new winger there. The Oilers are, are kind of getting involved in these shootouts because, again, they're, they're giving up more chances. McKinnon just started a little bit slower. It might not stay that way for the same for the entire season. Period. I like what's going on with with McDavid's fantasy production at the very least. It's boosted over last year. He's attempting way more shots on goal per average, and I'm going to stick with that for the short term. So um, it, again, you know, we're talking about the two star players. It's, it's not like a huge um, a huge surprise here who we're talking about, but uh, it's a kind of a nightly decision you have to make. And um, right now, I would lean McDavid in those conversations for the most part. Great stuff, Jeffrey. We really appreciate you hopping on here, and we'll have to get you back on soon and uh, preview maybe next week, see what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. Anytime. Great stuff from Jeffrey Ulrich of DraftKings Nation. You can also give him a follow on Twitter at the Fantasy Grind and some new stuff. I'm going to just keep on learning week to week here when we talk to Jeffrey, try to get all the slang down, learn how to stack my team and things of that sort. So really appreciate Jeffrey coming on the podcast today, and we'll definitely be getting him back on in the near future. Right now, though, let's talk a little bit about those Winnipeg Jets. The Oilers just got past, of course, over the weekend. They make the big trade with the Columbus Blue Jackets, acquiring Pierre-Luc Dubois, who won't be playing with the Jets on Tuesday. But Oilers fans, you'll get a glimpse of him down the road. That is for certain. Let's bring in Jim Toth. He's the host of the big show on TSN 1290 out in Winnipeg. If you're interested in tuning in, you can hear them 6 to 11 a.m. Central Time. You can listen online, of course. You can also give him a follow on Twitter at Jim Toth Sports. Jim, thanks a lot for hopping on the podcast. How are you doing? Doing well, Connor. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing very good. We're glad to have you on the program today here. Of course, the Edmonton Oilers and Winnipeg Jets playing last night or Sunday night as we speak on this Monday evening. And we'll get to that game. We'll get to the game on Tuesday night as well. But I think we got to start off with the Patrick Line deal. Of course, the team sending him to Columbus, bringing back Pierre-Luc Dubois, kind of the headliners of that trade. But uh, how was the reaction on the show today with that deal? Well, it's uh, it's funny because it does settle a little bit. It was interesting that it happened Saturday, and our station uh, is usually live um, from nine till noon on on Saturdays. But we raced in and did full day coverage, and the reaction, it, it, you know, it, it was really really hot on Saturday and Sunday. And I think a lot of people have settled down a bit, but their opinions haven't really changed. And and I think the interesting part about this trade is. Uh, even the fans that think this made the Jets better and understand that it probably had to happen are still pretty sad. And, and I got that Saturday morning. You know, the news was breaking from TSN insiders that, you know, it was close between Winnipeg being the front runner, but Montreal and Anaheim uh, Friday night. And uh, I just thought then, and I even put out on Twitter, that if it's not Winnipeg, I would love to see the package that gets it done from some other team because, I mean, I don't know what better offer you could get than a Patrick Line. So, I think fans are excited about the future. There are that fan base that think that Patrick Laine never, ever should have been traded at all, no matter what was going on or the cost of it or anything like that. Um, but I think the majority of the people understand that this made them a better team, understand that it wasn't going to be a long-term deal for Patrick Laine. But even with that understanding today, I think on our show and throughout the day, we learned that uh, even though they get it and they feel it's it's going to help the Jets, it's still a sad day that a guy like Patrick is no longer in Winnipeg. So what went wrong? And it, I mean, was there just no fixing this relationship? 
Well, I don't, I don't think so. Like a lot of the stories are coming out, and I don't, I don't want to sugarcoat anything. I think there was friction there, and I, and I've even said on our show three years ago, you know, Patrick Laine scored 80 goals in the first two seasons, then he had a really down year, and it was weird because it was that November against St. Louis that he had the five goal game, but I think he went 70 games with only scoring 12 goals over a three month period or something like that, three and a half. Uh, and I said then, like, I go, I, I wonder what a conversation is like at the airport waiting in line for a coffee if Blake Wheeler and Patrick Laine run into each other. Um, and since that season three years ago, like, Blake Wheeler started last season going, he's reflected a lot in his leadership style and, and everything else. And then even yesterday when, when um, it was all said and done or Saturday and he spoke to the deal, he said, yeah, I have some regrets and, and maybe instead of, uh, showing my frustration, I should have kept quiet a couple of times, but I don't think it was any one thing in the relationship that made it uh, unrepairable. I think it's a combination of things. I think Patrick Laine is that new era of athlete, and we see it in the NBA more than ever, but I, I just think that whether, and I think he liked it here, I, I really do, but I think that he knew from the get-go he was going to go to free agency. I think he was going to He'd be one of those athletes that sort of got himself there. And I, you know, this isn't talked about a lot, Connor, but I look at Austin Matthews. He's only signed up until free agency. Mm -hmm. And I think that's Patrick Laine's thinking. I think he wanted 10 or $11 million on a contract. And I think he wanted to go till the seven years or the 27 year age group. And, and so I think that was a part of it. I think the line combinations were a part of it. I think the friction was a part of it. But I also think money was a huge part of it. I've said all year long that even though he signed that two-year deal, that the Jets know what he wants in a long-term deal. And I don't know if he would be willing to sign it, but they know what the cost is going to be. And, and we did this with the Jacob Truba trade, too. Like, everybody vilified that trade. But you now have a potential of Billy Hinola in the lineup. You also have Neil Pionk at $3 million and obviously going to make more next year but basically have those two players about to jump into full-time roles with Hainola and to your team for under $4 million. Are the Jets better off than having Jacob Truba at eight? And I think that this is the kind of thing we broke down today. Next year, are you not better off having Pierre-Luc Dubois to address all the other issues that this team does need addressing defensively, but also a $5 million center and, and maybe a $4 million winger like a Mike Hoffman or somebody like that than having nine or 10 wrapped up in Patrick. So I get the business side of it. I understand that, uh, from what I understand, Patrick just wasn't signing here long-term. I don't think it was just because of the friction, but that was a part of it. I think it was a combination of friction and not being on the top line. And, and a lot of people think that, you know, a lot of people go, look, he's not, and I believe this, he's not the best right winger on this roster as of yesterday or Saturday, but I think he was going to be. And whether he didn't want to wait for that or, or, or everything else going on, um, it just caused some friction. But when I heard the two players, Wheeler and, and uh, Line talk, I, yeah, there was clearly they had some friction, but they seemed to have some mutual respect and some sadness themselves that it had come to this, that it's over. And albeit, I think, best that both guys and the team and, and um, Line wanted that, I, I really appreciate their show of, of, like Blake Wheeler said, it's kind of sad. Like, I remember four years ago when he came here and, and four years later to go to this point that it's not going to happen anymore for a variety of reasons. It, it's a sad day. So they understand it. And I think that's kind of like fans. They, they understand it. They get it. They're not happy about it. They think the Jets are better predominantly, yes. But in the end, it's still a sad day. So now that the dust is settled and uh, the trade's been done, it's uh, it's kind of an accepted. What's the expectations for Pierre-Luc Dubois once he's able to suit up for the Jets? 
Well, that's an interesting question because, uh, I mean, a lot of our fans think they're better off and they, they really like this and they understand, like most people are saying, that to build a Stanley Cup winner, it's strength down the middle. The Jets were always going to score goals and they were just going to score more of them with Patrick Liney. Keeping the puck out of the net and keeping Connor Hellebuck from facing so many high-danger chances is an issue here. So I think the fans understand that going forward. The interesting question to me, Connor, is is there's two players in the nine years, now the 10th season since the Jets came from Atlanta, that sold tickets. And that is Dustin Bufflin and Patrick Liney. And both those guys are gone. And there's a lot of players or a lot of fans that, you know, oh, I'm – I don't think they should have signed Wheeler. He's too old to that extension, and other fans are fine with it. Some people think Shifley isn't a very good defensive center, and that's fine with it. They have stars on this team, but the ones that sold tickets were Patrick Line and Dustin Bufflin. So from an organizational standpoint, I think they did the right thing to win, and we all know winning cures things. If the Jets go long in the playoffs or potentially get to a Stanley Cup final, I think a lot of it will be forgotten, but I do think fans are, are, are you know, hard pressed to maybe buy in when it, when they are allowed to return. Um, and I think there is some pressure on Pierre Luc Dubois, but I, I think the majority of the fans, much like Oilers fans, it's Canada, they're hockey. They understand that their this team was going to score goals. It was a matter of how they go about keeping them out, and Pierre Luc Dubois is really going to help with that. And I do see a lot of Mark Shifley's offensive potential in Pierre Luc Dubois. I do think he could become a point per game center. But until that actually happens, you know, and if he and until he starts putting up 75, 85 points, I think the the jury will be out because people love to pay money to go watch Patrick Liney. Jim, the game on Sunday night uh, at points might not have been the most entertaining, but we got our money's worth in that last 10 minutes. Uh, how much of a role was fatigue playing in that game for the Jets, obviously playing Saturday night as well? Well, you know what? That's what I saw. And, and not so much about the third period because the Jets did come back and get a lead, but the Jets were great in that first period against the Oilers. And I thought they were the better team. And then it just took over. And that's where I thought not only, you know, two nights in a row compared to Edmonton. Um, I also thought that the late start nine o'clock, then the eight o'clock start, uh, uh, to the pace where they couldn't be in it. No, but did it affect them a little bit? Probably maybe in the get go. Um, but it was an exciting game. Like the Oilers really played well in the second period. And then you would know better than I. I, I don't think Connor uh, McDavid left the ice in <laughs> three to four <laughs> minutes. So it, it was an exciting finish. It definitely is a heartbreaker for the Jets. Um, and once the Oilers tied it, I thought, you know, in this North Division, the shortened season, you just got to get a point out of this. And to not get that, I think it is a, a, a big gut punch to them. Um, but it was a pretty good game. Uh, they had played, that was their fifth game in, in seven nights. And I think tomorrow night's is six and nine, and then they have some time off. Um, so the back to back played a little bit into it, but let's be honest, they were up three, two late in the third. Um, that's sort of when you get your legs going again and get the a second win if you are tired. So probably a little bit of a factor, but that doesn't take anything away from the way the Oilers fought back and, and won that game. Yeah, Connor McDavid played 23 minutes last night, and that's kind of been the thing from Dave Tippett. If he has to, he'll just, <laughs> as much as he can, run that top line, kind of throw Leon Draisaitl out there as well, load it up a little bit, but definitely not afraid to to test Connor McDavid's cardio uh, limits there. Going into the game on Tuesday night, safe to say Connor Hellebuck draws back into the lineup there, gets the start, and that's obviously going to make things a lot tougher for the Oilers. Yeah, I would think so. And and you know what? Going back to Saturday, a lot of people were questioning why he didn't roll back to back with Hellebuck and and then give him a day off in the shortened season. But I thought Lowan Brassant played well. And and people forget when deciding whether Brassant should have played last night or not against the high flying Oilers offense. Hey, 
Connor, I mean, Hellebuck didn't play well against Ottawa. The, all three of those goals, when it was a 3-3 tie, were soft. Now the team poured it on in the third and got three more goals, including an empty netter. But he had a bit of an off night on Saturday. So how this is managed, I don't put the loss last night on Roland Bressois at all. Um, but he will make a difference when he comes back. And, and you know, normally, Connor Hellebuck, throughout the history of his career, even when he's had a, the early years of 26 games that first year, he has always bounced back from a loss and played extremely well. So that's going to help them. I think a day of rest will help them. I also think you know the drama of the weekend, having settled now, of trading a guy like Patrick Liney, um will help the team too. So it's going to help the, the Jets, and, and I expect the, just the same from the Oilers. So it should be another good one. I mean, these are two... There's three or four teams in this North Division, as you know, and Edmonton's one of them, Toronto, Winnipeg. They're just top-heavy, and and they've got great goaltending here in Winnipeg as well, so that's often the difference, but when two top-heavy teams go at it, it's usually exciting, so I expect a, you know, a better all-round effort maybe from both teams. And Jim, we are only six games into the season, so obviously plenty of time for things to change, but uh, I really liked what I saw at Ehlers. I thought Cop played pretty well. Uh, any guys who have been a pleasant surprise for you to start the year? Well, I've always been a big fan of Adam Lowry, and I've always said that he's got probably a 35-40 point season in him, but at 27 years old, it's been a long time coming. I don't think you can hide from his start, and this goes back to the play-in series against Calgary. I know Shifley and Liney got hurt in that first game, but he was their best forward night in, night out. Eric, uh, or um, sorry, Nick Ehlers had a great game in the playoffs against Calgary, where he was probably the best player for the Jets. But over those four games, the best forward was by far and away Adam Lowry. And he's continued that out of the gate as well. I think he's played good. And then it's just the young guns. Like Jansen Harkins got injured in camp and he's missed the start of the season. But I thought he was flying against the Oilers and could be a difference changer. And Andrew Kopp moving up into the top six. Andrew Kopp's sort of done the reverse of of Patrick Liney. At the end of last season, he said, I believe I can be a second-line center on this team, but I'm not going to ask for it. I'm going to work for it and earn it. He's a guy who's improved his game every year. Uh, he's never had more than 30 or uh, he's never had 30 points. I don't know if he has 50 to 60 in him, but his progression so far has been a pleasant surprise out of camp as well. Um, the defense is still a work in, in progress to see who can do well, but I would say, you know, the usual suspects are there. I, I think Kyle Connor is going to lead this team in scoring, and I also think even when Line was on this team and have said this, I think Kyle Connor will be your first 50 goal scorer in a Jets uniform. So it, 2.0 anyway. But out of the gate, I think the surprises of other than the usual suspects have been the Andrew Cops and the Adam Lowry's. I can tell you, I think a lot of Oilers fans uh, hold their breath when Kyle Connor's out there on the ice. That guy is dangerous. <laughs> uh, Jim, th- thanks so much for hopping on the podcast here, and hopefully we can get you on down the road. Yeah, sounds good. We'll be a lot of more battles between the Oilers and the Jets. And uh, anytime, Connor, thanks for having me, and I'll be happy to join you again. All the best. Absolutely great stuff from Jim Toth. He is the host of The Big Show, TSN 1290, out in Winnipeg. If you want to tune in, 6 to 11 Central Time. You can also give him a follow on Twitter, at Jim Toth Sports. And, uh, yeah, that Winnipeg Jets trade, sending away a 50-goal scorer like Patrick Liney or a future 50-goal scorer like Patrick Liney, that can be tough. But if you believe Jim and what he said, then they've got a replacement there in Kyle Connor, and I'm inclined to believe him. I really, really like Kyle Connor. I think I've mentioned that a few times on the podcast already. That guy can put the puck in the net, and uh, the Jets have a fun team to watch. So I think we're all looking forward to the rematch Tuesday night when the Oilers take on the Winnipeg Jets once again. Right now, though, let's talk about those Edmonton Oilers. We're going to bring in Derek Van Deest of Post Media. He covers the Oilers, has been doing so for a long time, and does a great job at it. Derek, how are you doing tonight? Good, good. How are you doing? 
I'm doing very good, thanks. And uh, we really appreciate you hopping on here, uh, giving us some of your time to talk about the Oilers. And uh, let's just get right into it here. Of course, the news of the day, Tyler Ennis being placed on waivers. Uh, were you surprised by this move? Uh, no, not really. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting with the taxi squad, how they have to move guys up and down, and, and you got to put some guys on waivers to get them on the taxi squad. It just seems so so complicated when you want to kind of get a guy off the taxi squad, you got to put another guy on waivers to 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 get him off taxi squad. So if they're going to move Nygaard into the to the lineup, uh, then they have to waive Ennis. And I think Tyler Ennis is not, you know, he came in here and I think he does provide the Oilers with a little bit of depth. He just hasn't found his game right now. And, and I think he's, he's, one, he's in one of those guys right now that the owners aren't sure how to use him. They're not sure whether he's a top six guy or a bottom six guy. They're not sure you know, what situations to put him in. Uh, and this, in his entire career, he's been a top six guy. He's been an, an offensive guy. He's been a guy that, that can score some goals for you. And his game kind of has tailed off in, in, in a while, as, as it happens to, to a lot of veteran players that have to kind of reinvent themselves from offensive guy to checking guy, and I think Ennis right now is kind of in that transition period between an offensive guy and a checking guy. He's got to become a checking guy that can chip in with offense, and I think that's what the Oilers were kind of looking for when they signed him, when they brought him in last year, and it just hasn't worked out right now, but I think uh, this is something that's going to happen throughout the year. Guys are going to get waived just to get up and down from the taxi squad. It's kind of an interesting year in that way, and you, you may lose a guy here and there trying to get him through to your taxi squad, but um, it's it's probably not the first time some guy will get waived in in that movement, but I think Ennis just hasn't found his game right now, and and he might be the odd man out for the time being. Why do you think that is? And I mean, if if he were to find his way back onto the Oilers roster, what do you think needs to change in his game? I just think he's got to be uh, more responsible in his own end. I think he when you, when you're not scoring and you're not providing offense at one end, you really, really have to be reliable at the other end. You can't be a liability. Uh, and I'm not saying Tyler Ennis is a liability, but you know, he's not known as, as a checking guy, and he's not really the guy that if you need in a checking situation, he's not the first guy that comes to mind saying, oh, okay, I'm going to throw Tyler Ennis out there because he's going he's gonna, to you know, do well defensively for me. You know, he, I think, like I said, I think he's still a guy kind of in that transition. He's going to have to learn to – to play that role, to play that bottom six role. And then you look at after four games, he doesn't have a point. He's minus four. So it, 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 he's struggling in that transition to that role. He's not going to get any power play time. He's not going to get any time with McDavid or Dreisaitl uh, or Nugent Hopkins. So he's going to have to make the most uh, of whoever he's playing with in that bottom six role. And I also think that maybe moving him up and down and, and he, each game he goes into each game not sure who his linemates are going to be, that never helps. Uh, when it comes to continuity, and it's always good to know where you stand. And I think right now, Dave Tippett's not sure how to use him, and Tyler Ernest is not sure where he stands with this other team right now. Going back to last night's game, of course, Jesse Pugliarvi getting the look on the first line with Connor McDavid and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. How did you think he fit in? I think he's fitting in really well. I think Jesse Pugliarvi's a different player now than he was when he left. And I think this is a guy that really, the Oilers, didn't expect to have him. When they drafted him fourth overall in 2016, the owners thought for sure that Columbus was going to take him. Columbus has a finished GM. Columbus, the GM, obviously, was, was he wanted Patrick Laine. Laine went number two in that draft after Austin Matthews. And 
it looked like for sure Pugliarvi was going to go number three. That's how they were ranked. There's going to be Matthews, Line, Pugliarvi, and then whoever else after that. So I think the owners were surprised when Columbus and their Finnish GM passed on the Finnish star and decided to go with Pierre-Luc Dubois instead. And to me, that, that should have been a bit of a, a, a flag there. There should have been a bit of a red flag wondering why. Why would the Finnish GM pass this guy who everyone thought was going to be a star in the league just because he's big, he's strong, he can skate, he has good, good offensive instincts. And then I think the owners saw what the problem was with Pooley Um One, the language barrier was, was a big problem. The, the owners didn't even interview this kid before drafting him, and, and that's that's always going to be a problem when when you when you draft high. You need to interview these guys. You need to know these players inside out. And because the owners thought that there wasn't a chance they were going to get him, they didn't even bother. And then when he, they passed on him, Columbus, the guys were tripping all over themselves trying to get to the podium. They couldn't get there fast enough to call Pugliarvi's name. Now, Pugliarvi, he didn't do well with systems. He didn't do well with positioning. Um, it, was, it was a communication issue. You know, when he comes to the NHL now, this is a kid that was always bigger and stronger and faster and better than all the kids growing up, and all he had to do was just skate around, get the puck, and go and score. He gets to the NHL level as an 18-year-old, doesn't understand the language very well. Uh, and now they're telling him that he has to be in this certain spot and this certain spot and this certain spot offensively, this certain spot defensively. This is where you go if you're the first guy back in the zone. This is where you go with the second guy back in the zone. And then you just start throwing all these concepts and systems at him, and he just, he just couldn't handle it. He couldn't understand it. They would send him down to the minors. Okay, figure it out down there. He was better than anyone in the minors. He would have some success because he's bigger, stronger, faster than everyone, come back up to the NHL, and then you you know start talking systems again, and he just didn't get it. So I think he comes back as a bit more mature player, and, and the irony of this is he, in three years here with the Oilers, he didn't learn a lick of English. He goes back to Finland, and in a year and a half, he, he learns English. So I think it's good on him to realize, listen, if I'm going to play in the NHL, i got to speak the language. i got to know the language better. Comes back, has a better grasp on the language, and I think the Oilers aren't using him as much in the sense that they're not trying to uh, overload him with systems and where he has to be. They're letting him go out and play and find his game, and I think he's doing that right now. How much credit do you give to Ken Holland for the way he came in and handled this whole situation? Well, I think him a lot of credit because it looked like when Pugliarvi left, it looked like that was it. He's going to be done. He wanted to trade. He didn't want anything to do with with what was going on with the Edmonton Oilers. He didn't trust the coaching staff. He didn't trust management. He didn't trust anyone. And coming in, I think Ken Holland is so well-respected around the league. And he realized, listen, there's a player here to be had. I'm not going to give him away because can you imagine if he had traded him and Pugliarvi comes back and for whatever team and he plays the way he, he looks like he's capable of playing. So good on him to be patient. He said, listen, go down there. Go to Finland, find your game, enjoy your time, you know, find the love of hockey again, be successful, and then come up here and we'll work with the new coach, we'll work with the new players, we'll work with the new management, and we'll see if we can make it work. And I think coming back and knowing the language and, and being able to communicate with his teammates, and before, Pooley Arby was, was on an island. The, the team team would go out somewhere and Pooley Arby was on his, on, his, on his own. So everyone thought, well, this guy's a kid's a bit of a loner, he didn't really want to. Uh, associated with anyone. Well, that's not true. He just didn't speak the language. And so now I think he's a bit more engaged with his teammates. His teammates are a bit more engaged with him, which which really helps the situation. Just playing with a guy like Connor McDavid, how much of an adjustment do you think there is with a guy who plays obviously so fast and thinks the game at such a high level? Well, that's the thing. You... You can't just throw anyone out there with Connor McDavid and say, "Here, go to the front of the net, put your stick on the ice, and hopefully 
you know, banks in off your butt and you score. We saw that. We've seen that Connor McDavid needs to play with players who think the game at his level. And I think offensively, Pooley Arby does have those offensive instincts. And I think we saw that last night where there were some kind of small plays that they made with each other, back and forth passes. And I think that's what McDavid needs. He needs a guy that sees the all game offensively like he does and has those offensive instincts. It's not easy to find, and, and with great players, it's it's tough sometimes to find a complementary player for them. That's why when they're together with Leon Dreisaitl, those two are, are a completely other level, uh, the way they're in sync together. And, and uh, I think Pugliarvi, I saw that he does have those offensive instincts. He knows what to do with the puck in the offensive zone, as long as you don't tell him, okay, you have to be here, you have to be here. As long as it's not too structured, let him play the game, let him go to the net, let him use his big body, and let him play off McDavid. And I think you're starting to see that. I think in, before, uh, I think McDavid struggled with Pugliarvi because Pugliarvi was trying to go where the coach was telling him to go and not using those offensive instincts. Defensively, he still has responsibility on the defensive end of the ice. And I think he's starting to get those now. But offensively, you just let it, sometimes you got to let the thoroughbred run and let him go and let him do the things that he does and, and try not to have too much structure in his game. And with Jesse Pugliarvi getting the promotion to the first line, of course, Zach Cassian drops down to the third line. I'll use the, the term in air quotes, uh, demotion. But I thought that was a really good look for him. Obviously, he gets the assist on the goal for Kyle Turris. Uh, do you think that this provides just a little bit motivation or maybe a kind of a kick in the tail for Zach Cassian? Well, I think Zach Cassian, he's a talented player. Let's, let's, not, let's not kid ourselves. He, he's a guy that's come in, he's big and strong and has good hands, and he skates well for a big guy. Now, is he on the same level offensively as Connor McDavid? Probably not. So I think that Cassian might be even more comfortable on a line that plays straight forward, up and down, and, and you don't have to worry about you know, being in the right spot or being here or kind of reading off McDavid. You know, he's on a line now that these guys play up and down the wing, straight up the ice. They play through people as opposed to around them. And I think he might be more comfortable on that line. Uh, on that on that third line, you know, with James Neal and Kyle Turris, and it looked like they do have good synergy together because they play the same kind of game. They're they're not crisscrossing and and, and weaving in and out of traffic and and trying to read off that. And I know there's a lot of pressure for a guy like Zach Kasten to play with Connor McDavid and, and and to produce on that line because he's getting paid a lot of money. And now you're getting you're playing with two really, really good players in, in McDavid and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. So you better produce. And when you don't produce, then I think you start gripping the stick a little tight. And, and we saw that in Toronto where he hit the crossbar in a wide-open opportunity, I, I, probably a play that he buried 99 of 100 times. And the one time he hits the crossbar, it's just the way things were going for him. But I think now a little pressure is off him. He can go back to being the guy that he is, running over people, being aggressive, uh, and then being hard to play against. And I think – that line, if they can find some chemistry together, uh, could be a really, really solid line for the Edmonton Oilers. Let's go to the game against the Winnipeg Jets on Sunday evening. And uh, I was a little surprised that maybe the Oilers couldn't put them away, especially considering the Jets just played the night before. Uh, were you disappointed at all that after that 2-1 lead, they let the Jets crawl back into it? Yeah, I think they were as well. I think they, they, were, they had a team down and out, and the Jets had played the night before, they were playing three games in four nights. They were playing with their backup goalie. You could tell that they had not much left in the tank in that second period. The Oilers were all over them in that second period and probably should have got out of that period 
up by two goals or more. And there was only a one-goal difference going into the third. And I think the Oilers thought, okay, these guys are bagged. We just have to keep rolling over them. And credit to the Winnipeg Jets. They came back and said, hey, we got some fighting that's left. This is the last period uh, that we have in, in this stretch, and we're going to give it all we have. And I think they really kind of caught the Oilers by surprise in that third period by not rolling over. I know their legs are probably tired and heavy, and, and it's just the way it is when you play three and four nights. And, and I think good on the Oilers to recognize, hey, we we have to come back and we have to take our game to the level that it was in the second period. And and I think what, what's encouraging the Oilers fans is we saw that McDavid and Drysaddle just took their game to to new heights, and they took their team on the this team on the back and said, "Hey, we're not going to lose to Winnipeg when Winnipeg's playing the second of them back to back in three and four nights. We're going to go out there and we're going to get the job done." And uh, they did that. They McDavid made a great play for the tying goal on the goal from Yamamoto, and then in the late stages, finally they're they're circling the, the zone with the puck, and I thought they they lost track of time, then they throw the puck on net, it goes in with .7 seconds to go, and they really stole a point from Winnipeg, which I think later on, it's going to be interesting how big that point gets magnified, because that's what they did, they stole a point from Winnipeg because that game was destined to go overtime, both teams are going to split the point and play for the second point, but I think taking that point away was really, really hurtful for Winnipeg Jets, because they probably thought they did enough to earn at least a point in that game, and then we'll see where they go with overtime, but um, that was a big win for the Edmonton Oilers because they got two points and the Jets didn't get any. And there's that four-point swing that every game this year is going to have. Oh, yeah, you're 100% right. And, I mean, I watched that goal a few times. I still wasn't sure that Tricidal got it in there. Uh, clearly he did when they showed the slow-motion replay. Just a few more questions for you, Derek. Really appreciate you doing this and uh, hopping on the other Connor podcast. What did you think of Darnell Nurse on that first unit power play? Because I, I thought he looked pretty good out there. Well, Darnell Nurse was an offensive player in junior. Right? This is a guy that, that has offensive instincts, and I know that because of the way the orders are structured right now and the way things are going with him, he has a lot of defensive responsibilities, and he's taken on the defensive responsibilities that Oscar Kleffbaum used to take on. And I think that's the, the one thing about Darnell Nurse, that his minutes are improved drastically this year, um, and it's because Kleffbaum's not around. But this is a guy that does have offensive instincts, and, and he's shown it before. So being on the power play is something that he did to suit Greyhounds a lot, and, and he did that a little earlier in, in his career with the Oilers. He, and he's on the second unit power play, so he knows how to quarterback a power play. And I think it was a situation where right now, for whatever reason, uh, Tyson Berry's not working out on that power play. He's not, he's not doing what the Oilers were hoping he'd do. I, I, I would like to see Barry shoot the puck a little more, but he seems to just defer the puck to McDavid. Every time he gets it, he looks to McDavid or Dreisaitl and just wants to give it up to them. I think they want a bit more out of him on that back end quarterback in that power play. And I think Darnell Nurse is just used to playing with those guys. He knows what those guys want. He knows what those guys need. And he's really safe back there, and he's a good option. So he does have offensive instincts. And I think just because of the role he's been in the last couple of years, where he's had to take on big defensive minutes, sometimes you forget that. But I thought he did really well on that power play, and I thought it was, it was a key to, to, to the comeback. How have you thought Ethan Bear has responded since his benching? Well, I think Ethan Bear still has a ways to go. And it's funny, they say in the NHL that a fenceman usually takes about 200 games to get to where he needs to be. So you gotta, you got to judge him at the 200-game level. Ethan Bear is still a long way away from that. And we talked about last year. This is a guy last year that a lot of people weren't sure whether he was going to make the team or not. They, he's a talented player. He was very talented in junior. Uh, he had a lot of 
Pointon Jr., and, and he's a guy that that was really was ready for the season. He worked out hard. He was ready for the season. He was ready to take on that extra role because his role went from we hope this guy can play in our top six last year to hey, we want this guy to play in our top four this year and contribute offensively and do the things that we need him to do. So that role has expanded for, for Ethan Barron. And you talk about a young player. A young player didn't have any runway to get into this season. It's basically they started from the go. No short training camp, no exhibition season. They just said, drop the puck. Okay, go, Ethan. Now we expect you to play in an expanded role. And it's, it's a tough thing to do when you're a young guy. He's still a young guy, relatively 23 years old. And the, I don't think he's played 100 games in the league yet. So he's still halfway to where they say defenseman needs to be in order to be a solid defenseman in the NHL. He still needs another 100 games under his belt to kind of be that solid defenseman. And, and I think he's improving every game and every day. And I think you have to be patient with a guy like Ethan Barry. He set the bar really high last year. And I think people want him to exceed that bar. And he wants to exceed that bar. He knows that He's going to be asked to do that. But it's like when you step up to the plate and hit a home run, next time up to the plate, you're not always going to hit the home run, even though everyone's expecting you to. So I think it's going to take some time for Ethan Bear to really kind of find his groove and find where he needs to be with his team this year. Um, I didn't agree with sitting him after a couple of games because he didn't play well. I know he struggled a little bit in the first couple of games, but I think you have to bide your time with those young players. You have to really – kind of go through those growing pains and, and they're going to come out better on the other end. And I, I'm a big Ethan Bear fan and I think he's going to be a very, very good defenseman for this team for a very, very long time. Uh, Derek, just one final question for you here. Just looking ahead a little bit, of course, the Oilers have the Maple Leafs on the schedule Thursday, Saturday, then Sunday, the Ottawa Senators in town. What do you think the situation is going to look like in net for those three games and four nights? Well, that's going to be interesting to see because uh, we're not sure what the situation is with Mike Smith. It, it, it might be a situation where they're going to have to either ride Koskinen and see if he can play all the games, or you know, turn turn it over to to a guy that hasn't played any games in the NHL. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Oilers do this. I know that they're still actively looking. For a season backup, someone that has some games on the NHL, but Stuart Skinner doesn't have any NHL games, and he's never played in the league, so it's tough to kind of throw him in to that to that situation. And he didn't have a particularly great year in the AHL last year, so I think it's a situation where you know you you want to kind of give the kid an opportunity, uh, but the points are so valuable nowadays. They're just there's so much at stake with a, with a shorter season, and you're just playing divisional opponents, and it, like we said before. Every game is a four-point game. It's a four-point string every game. So will the give Stewart get an opportunity? You know, you'd like to think so, but that's where you would have liked to have a couple exhibition games to let him feel his way out. I think it'd be tough to throw him in in the second or back-to-back against the Toronto or Ottawa, but uh, it'll really depend on to when Miko, how Miko Koskinen feels and, and whether or not he's getting taxed. But I think the Oilers do have to find a solution and goal sooner than later if they're not going to go with Stuart Skinner, if they're not going to give him a chance to play, then they better find someone that can play in that backup role. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do going forward. Derek, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast today. Really appreciate it. No problem. Anytime. Great stuff from Derek Van Deest. He covers the Oilers for Post Media. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Derek Van Deest. And that's going to wrap it up for us here 
on episode seven of the Other Connor podcast. And I've got to give a big thanks to all of our guests on the show today. Of course, Derek Van Deest, who you just heard from, Jim Toth from TSN 1290 out in Winnipeg. You can give him a follow on Twitter as well, at Jim Toth Sports. And talking daily fantasy sports, Jeffrey Ulrich from DraftKings Nation. You can give him a follow as well, at the Fantasy Grind. He's always got some great tips for you. As well, and speaking of DraftKings, we got to give them a big thanks and let you know one more time that for all the football fans out there, the moment you've been waiting for is right around the corner. And DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55, is bringing back their golden ticket giveaway with up to $55 million in prizes up for grabs. Make sure you download the DraftKings app now and use the promo code THPN to enter the free $55 million Super Bowl prediction challenge. Everyone gets an instant prize up to $25,000 just for playing. So use the promo code THPN now and enter the free $55 million Super Bowl challenge only at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55. Once again, that promo code THPN, it stands for the Hockey Podcast Network. And uh, yeah, that, that's going to be a fun one for sure. I'll be getting in on DraftKings for the Super Bowl trying to win because it did not go very well over championship weekend and I totally need to redeem myself. Coming up on the next episode of the Other Connor Podcast, of course, we will recap this week's action. The Oilers taking on the Winnipeg Jets on Tuesday. Then they take on the Toronto Maple Leafs Thursday. On that show, we'll also look ahead to the weekend. It's a busy one for the Oilers. Get the Maple Leafs once again on Saturday. Then it's the Ottawa Senators rolling into town on Sunday. So we'll preview those games. We're going to talk to someone who used to work with the Oilers organization a little bit behind the scenes. And I'm sure he's going to have some very fun stories. We've kind of been talking about what we want to discuss. I think you're going to really enjoy it. So it should be a real fun episode when it comes to episode 8. But once again, you guys, thank you so much for tuning into the other Connor podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Connor Halley. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.